Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hello there guys, welcome back to episode 12 of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. Today I'm doing something a little bit different, I'm doing a solo episode, not focusing on the Q&As this week, I'm going to save those for in a couple of weeks time, but today I'm talking about 10 things that I do every single day to stay in a place of hormonal harmony, because you all know that this is my passion, so I always have to practice what I preach. And I'm always trying to educate you guys on what you can do to make your life a little bit better, get your hormones back in balance, make sure your symptoms are kind of staying managed as well as possible. But it can be that a lot of practitioners kind of don't follow their own advice, but I try to stick to following some of these things every single day to keep my health where it's at and in a good place. Because if you've followed my story for a long time now, you've known that I've struggled with not only my hormone issues in terms of PCOS, missing periods, irregular kind of heavy periods at one point, to my skin, my gut health, pretty much everything. I feel like I've dealt with every single hormone imbalance you can imagine. Therefore, I really prioritise my health these days and it is my number one priority. Sometimes to my own detriment, I always put myself first and my health, but In my opinion, I've worked so hard to get to where I am today that I don't want to kind of slip back into old ways and I really want to manage my symptoms as much as possible. If you've been listening to the podcast, my first episode was a lot more in-depth on my journey. So how I went from a place of hormonal chaos to a place of hormonal harmony. So if you really want to hear what I went through, my experience with digestive issues, parasites yeast overgrowth, my experience on the birth control pill, then you can go back to episode number one and listen to the full episode on that because I do dive in a lot deeper. But today I'm focusing on what I'm doing these days to stay in a good place. So I've already dealt with the gut infections and the adrenal stress, nutrient deficiencies, cleaning up my diet and my environment. So I've covered all of the basics, but I want to show what I've been doing to stay in this maintenance phase. And when I interview my guests on the podcast, I always ask them about their morning routines, what they like to eat for breakfast, what they do in their day-to-day routines. So I thought it would be really great for you to learn maybe a bit more about me, because a few of you always want to learn a little bit more and see kind of what I get up to in a day-to-day routine because my job's not really conventional. It's not the same every single day. Some days I'm working with clients, some some days I'm doing the podcast or I'm writing. So it really does change, but I try to make these consistent activities every single day that I always try to prioritise, no matter what I'm doing that day. So the first thing for me is my morning routine. And you may have heard a few of my guests also talk about their morning routines And I truly believe that it's one of the best ways that we can set up our day and make sure we're more productive, more successful. I am a morning person. I know that a lot of people aren't morning people and maybe your mornings are a little bit different to mine. Maybe you have children or you have a job where you're up and straight out the house first thing in the morning. But for me, mornings are my favourite time of the day. I really try to take it slow because a few months ago, I think it, I think it was around 12 months ago now, I had my first Dutch test and that showed that my cortisol levels were off the charts. They were really high and bearing in mind, I don't have one of these jobs where I'm really stressed out. I don't have kids where I'm woken up early first thing in the morning. I didn't have poor sleep, but my cortisol was really, really high, especially in the morning. So 
even though I wasn't dealing with any of those lifestyle factors, my morning cortisol was just really high for whatever reason. At the time, I was experiencing things like anxiety, palpitations, and just kind of dread for the day ahead. If you've followed my journey with histamine intolerance, that could definitely have played a part in my symptoms because it can give you a lot of the similar symptoms like palpitations, anxiety, because your nervous system's just on overdrive. So that was in part playing into my morning cortisol being elevated. And remember that cortisol should be elevated in the morning, but not to the extent it was for me. Cortisol's our wake, wakeful hormone. It's our daytime alert hormone. When it's low in the morning, that can also be a problem. So we don't want it too high or too low. It's kind of a Goldilocks hormone. When it's too low, you may feel like you're stuck to the bed. You can't get up. It's like you're glued to the mattress. You set your alarm, but you put it on snooze 10 times and you constantly fall in the back of sleep and you can't get up. You can't get going until you've had that first cup or two of coffee um, first thing as well. And another problem with low cortisol is that it's actually been researched and found that people with low cortisol levels actually have a higher risk of developing autoimmune conditions because it's that spike of cortisol in the morning that we need to kind of train our immune system and kill off any faulty immune cells. And when this process doesn't happen, the new immune cells that we make in our thymus gland, which is located around the bottom of the neck, this allows a lot of faulty and rogue immune cells to be circulated within the body and that can lead to an autoimmune cascade because these faulty immune cells don't recognize self from non-self. So instead of attacking something like gluten in terms of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, it starts to attack your thyroid gland instead. So this is quite a serious condition. And one of the ways that we can really start to overcome this and really support our body is to make sure that we're getting healthy amounts of cortisol first thing in the morning but obviously not too much because that's going to be detrimental as well in terms of inflammation blood sugar and that feeling of anxiety and dread in the morning so for me personally i like to wake up around 7 a.m and i've noticed now that the sun's come out a little bit more we're getting into spring that I've been waking up around 6, 6.30 instead. And I do need a little bit more sleep in the winter and autumn months, just naturally. I feel like that's what a lot of people have to do. And I'm really glad that we're back into summer months. The clocks have gone back and we're feeling a lot more refreshed and energised and ready for the day when, when it comes to morning. And it's such a lovely feeling opening the curtains in the morning and the sun's already up. It just really makes me happy. In my morning routine, once I've woken up, I immediately roll over and take my temperature using my daisy thermometer, which is a fertility awareness monitor. And it's kind of a tech tech device that helps me track my menstrual cycle. At first I forgot a lot to do that because it's just a weird habit to get into. So I have really been making a conscious effort to train my body to remember to do it because you need to do it before you even sit up or make any sudden movements but I feel like I've been getting into a good habit and I've been tracking this now consistently and it started to recognize my cycles quite accurately so it knows when I'm gonna ovulate it knows when my period's due which is really handy plus my I've only noticed my aura ring which is my fitness tracking ring that I use to track my sleep as well That also tracks temperature and I also use that to monitor my cycles as well because it'll show you when my my temperature has spiked which indicates ovulation. So when I've woken up, I've done my temperature, I head to the bathroom, use the toilet, brush my teeth but I don't wash my face which may sound a little bit strange but over the past couple of months after learning a bit more about Sarah who was on the podcast episode last week She spoke about the importance of the skin barrier, the skin microbiome, the pH of our skin and how washing our face in the morning, especially if we're using a cleanser, this can actually disrupt the properties and the makeup of the skin, which can lead to things like um, dehydration, dullness, acne breakouts. So I actually don't wash my face anymore in the morning and having quite moisturised skin already can get a little bit oily. But I actually find that that gives me a natural glow. 
Instead, I spritz some um, Avene, I think it's Avene thermal water on my face. I've got that saved in my Instagram highlights if you if you want to check that product out, product out and I'll link it in the show notes to this episode as well. But it's just basically a thermal water spray that I kind of spritz on my face just to wake me up a little bit. Obviously wash the sleep from my eyes, but don't use any harsh cleansers or I don't splash my face with water even like I used to. After that, I sit on my bed, I drink a full pint of room temperature water, take my inositol supplement, which is myo-inositol. It really helps me regulate my menstrual cycles and manage my PCOS symptoms. I'm going to talk a bit more about supplements as one of my other points that I do every single day, but I take that in the morning, first thing on an empty stomach with a full drink of room temperature water and that's giving myself an internal bath, ready to get myself started for the day. Prep my digestion. If I could tolerate it, I would put in some lemon or some apple cider vinegar in there, but due to histamine intolerance, I'd just stick with plain water for now. But that I find that's really helpful. And if you're someone who struggles to get in water throughout the day, then I feel like drinking even up to a litre of water first thing in the morning can actually set you on your way to achieving your goal of ideally two to three litres. That's what we're all aiming for. After that, I put on my dressing gown so I don't get changed straight away if I'm working from home that day. So I pop on my dressing gown, which is lovely and cosy. I head downstairs, make myself a matcha green tea. And that's kind of a therapeutic preparation in itself. It's quite nice having a warm drink in the morning but for someone who's sensitive to a lot of caffeine and coffee I stick with matcha for the time being and I absolutely love matcha it's got so many benefits especially if you're someone who deals with hormone imbalances and PCOS matcha is actually a great option because it can help us to block that DHT which is that potent testosterone that can lead to symptoms like hirsutism, hair loss and acne. Once I've got my matcha, I head into the living room. I let that cool while I pop on my Calm meditation app. I've been using Calm for about two years now, I think. I started off with the free trials and after a while, I really was really enjoying it. So I actually upgraded to pay for a year's subscription and that allows you unlimited meditation and you get a free daily meditation track that helps you to focus on your breath. It's a guided meditation, so it's great for someone like me who can get a little bit scattered and get carried away with thinking, and I'm not in that that space yet where I can just sit and meditate on my own. I, I need that guidance, so I find that that's really helpful. After I've done my 10 minutes of meditation, I move immediately into a gratitude practice. So I either sit with my in the same meditation posture or I put my hands on my chest I do some deep breathing and I think about the things that I'm grateful for in my life this may seem a little bit hippy dippy but it truly puts you in an amazing headspace for the rest of the day you actually find yourself looking out for different things that you're grateful for throughout the day whether that's a nice weather someone said something nice to you something nice that you saw a child do it can be anything but you actually see more good things in the world when you start to have gratitude and thanks for what you've already got. So I think about the positives in my life, my job, my family, my career, the food in my fridge, the fresh water that I have available to me and then I move into a visualisation practice. So all of this in total with the meditation, the gratitude and the visualisation probably lasts around 20 minutes. The visualisation practice, I still have my eyes closed and I'm still in this kind of meditative headspace and I'm just thinking about what I want from this year, what I want from my future in terms of health, business, family, relationships, those types of things. I really believe in the law of attraction. If you haven't already read or watched The Secret, then you really need to do that. And it's about the role of energetics, the law of attraction, think, believe and receive from the universe. I love anything like that and I found it to be so helpful. I've been reading a lot more about spirituality, energetics, emotional freedom technique, those types of things. 
and it's definitely improved my life for the better. So I absolutely love my mornings. I don't go through my emails or really look at my phone at all until I've done my morning routine, which in total lasts about an hour. And obviously for everyone, that's definitely not achievable, but in whatever way that you can do, maybe some of these things, do what you love to do. Maybe it's taking your dog out first thing in the morning, waking up 10 minutes earlier before your kids get up to sit in your bed and do a 10 minute meditation, opening your curtains first thing in the morning, getting some natural bright light into your eyes. That's so important, especially if you're someone who deals with autoimmune conditions and low mood, low energy, especially at this time of the year when it's been autumn, winter and kind of not sunny, depending on where you are in the, in the world. Okay, so the second thing that I do every single day to stay in a place of hormonal harmony is some sort of personal development work. This could be reading a book, it could be researching, it could be listening to podcasts, but I'm really trying to educate myself. I think it's just because I'm a bit of a geek and I just love learning all things health, not only for myself and my own health needs, but to help my clients and the people that I work with too. I'm just obsessed with learning why things happen, the mechanisms behind it and what we can do to kind of control things because in terms of epigenetics, we have massive control over the expression of our genes despite what we've been maybe told for the past 50 years. Genetics don't mean destiny. They're kind of the blueprint that we're born with but our environment can actually control whether these genes are turned on and turned off. It's actually empowering knowing that what we do on a day-to-day basis can actually influence whether we experience some of the conditions maybe our family have been dealing with over the past few decades, whether that's breast cancer, Alzheimer's disease. We now know that it doesn't mean that we're going to be stuck with those things too, just because there's a family history of them. We can really start to shift things in the favour of what we want to experience. Obviously, we don't have full control over everything, but we can definitely make a massive impact in terms of what the food that we're eating, who we're hanging around with, the home environment, our emotional health, if we exercise, if we avoid cigarettes, those types of things. I personally believe that everyone should be doing some personal development or growth work every single day. It doesn't have to be anything major and it doesn't have to be health related. It could be you're learning more about a certain skill that you want to master. It could be just trying to be 1% better than you were yesterday in whatever way that is. Maybe in the way that you interact with your partner, the way that you speak to yourself mentally inside your own head. But for me personally, I always try to research maybe a different topic every single day. When you see me doing these Instagram educational videos, I do a lot of research that can go into those things just to make sure that I'm giving you the most accurate information that I can. And similarly with my blog post and my Instagram post, I'm really careful that what I put in there just to make sure I'm using scientific data, it's accurate and it's not going to be harmful for anyone. Bearing in mind that it's going to be pretty general because I don't know everything about everyone that reads that post. For me personally, as I've already mentioned, after I've done my morning routines, I spend the next hour or two before I go to the gym, research a little bit more, dive into a certain health subject, go through people's test results just to increase my education and knowledge on a certain subject for that day. It may also be a personal development book, so something like Tony Robbins' book, Deepak Chopra, those types of people. I actually I absolutely love reading books about spirituality, growth, mindset, business. And I'm not that into reading fiction books, if I'm honest. I'd rather spend my time learning and growing personally and try to be better than I was yesterday rather than reading um, a fiction fantasy book. But obviously that can be beneficial too in the fact that it switches your mind off, allows you to detach from the real world but I think I'm just that personality where I'm constantly craving education and I'm just in that in that phase of my life. It could change in the future and I'd be open to switching that out for maybe a romance novel or something like that. You never know. The third thing I do every single day to stay in hormonal harmony is to move my body. And this is kind of in order. So after I've done that personal development work, say from 8am to 10am, 
10 a.m. is usually the time when I go to the gym. I don't like going super early. I like to have my breakfast first. I've tried it in the past where I wake up early and go as soon as I wake up, but because of my history with high cortisol in the morning, I found that that definitely made that a little bit worse. And I don't feel great exercising on an empty stomach either. I really prioritise my sleep. I'm not one of those people who will wake up at 5am to get in a workout. I'd rather sleep until 7, have my breakfast, rest in the mornings and then go to the gym around 10. I find that that's when my energy is at the highest. I've tried going in the late afternoon or in the evenings, but again, that just doesn't suit me. 10am for me until around 11, so I stick to no more than an hour workout. Any more than that will throw off my cortisol again. And my exercise routine changes depending on my cycle, my energy and also my sleep score. So with my aura ring that I mentioned, if it tells me that I didn't sleep well or if my HRV was really low, which is my indication of being well rested and recovered, then I'm going to dial back my exercise and take it really easy that day. Whereas if I've had a great sleep, if I'm in my ovulation or follicular phase, if I'm feeling really good and energetic, then I'm going to push it a little bit harder at the gym and really go for something like a hit class, heavy strength training session. But if I'm not feeling as energetic or up to that, then I'll stick with just going for a walk, just moving my body in whatever way feels good. But I always try to get at least 10,000 steps every single day. That's a goal of mine, which I track again with my Aura Ring. P.S. This is not sponsored by Aura, even though it sounds like it is. But if you do want to sponsor me Aura, then I'd be really happy with that. Um, So I just try to get my body moving every single day. And this is for a number of reasons. The first one being that I have PCOS, meaning that my metabolism is already at a disadvantage. My body is less able to deal with carbohydrates and sugars in my diet. So exercising helps me to process my food a little bit better, keep my weight stable, keep my mental health healthy as well. I have had periods of time dealing with anxiety and depression, most of them due to the birth control pill use, nutrient deficiencies, poor gut health, all of the other things that I dealt with. But I find that every day if I keep moving, especially if it's outdoor related, say going for a walk in nature, then that really helps my mental health. And I'm trying to do that more frequently, but it's just a bit difficult, especially when the weather's not been great. So I'm really happy that the sun's come back out. It's getting a little bit warmer throughout the days. So hopefully I'll be able to um, get in some more nature walks over the next couple of months. Strength training, weight training is my main preferred form of exercise for me personally. And it is one that I recommend for a lot of women just based on the benefits that it can promote. So for hormones particularly, it's a less stressful form of exercise compared to sprints, cardio, HIIT training, running, spinning, those types of things. It's just less stressful for the body and the joints and the cardiovascular system. It does get you sweaty and give you a good workout, but without that chronically high cortisol and adrenaline release. Building muscle is so important for women who have hormone imbalances, especially PCOS, because it helps to soak up excess glucose from the bloodstream. If we have more muscle, it means that we can tolerate more carbohydrates and sugars in our diet and we're less insulin resistant. For a long time when my health was at its worst, I really didn't do any exercise at all. I was so fatigued, I couldn't even walk up the stairs, so I really didn't expect myself to go to the gym and push myself and even break a sweat. I actually don't think I could break a sweat just because my thyroid was depleted and just my body couldn't even mount that response. So now that I'm feeling more energetic, strong, powerful, I really love getting into the gym and pushing my body in a good way. I'm not punishing myself. I don't go to the gym because I've eaten something that I shouldn't have eaten, like many people think that I do, but I really exercise for my body and to benefit my body rather than to punish it. I'd say that I go to the gym four to five times a week, focusing on that strength training with a couple of HIIT sessions thrown in there during my follicular and ovulation phases of my menstrual cycle. If you want to learn more about that, I have a blog post on my website about cycle syncing that goes through the different phases of the cycle, what food's best to add in, what exercise is best to add in, because our hormones should work for us, they shouldn't work against us. 
and we actually have this kind of superpower as women. We have a menstrual cycle, which means we have different energy levels, mood levels, and different requirements throughout each phase. I found that syncing my exercise with my cycle has been one of the most important changes that I've made in terms of my hormones. When I'm in my luteal phase, so the week before my period, or when I'm on my menstrual phase, which is my the week of my period, I really take it slow. I go back into more of that restorative phase, sticking with walking, Pilates, yoga, and don't do much at all in that in that phase, especially when I'm on my period. Just because I'm listening to my body and I want to rest and really respect my hormones because during that week, my hormones are, are at the lowest. So I'm not going to push it even further. That's just going to stress my body out and lead to more symptoms. That being said, if you're someone who feels great all month long, you have energy, you don't have any hormone imbalances or conditions, then go ahead and exercise if you feel like it. I just find that for me personally and other women that I work with, we work best on cycling our exercise and not doing the exact same thing every single day. This is what men can get away with, but remember, we're not small men. We have different needs. Our body is completely different in every single week of the month, whereas men are on... 24 hour cycle we're on a 28 day average cycle the fourth thing that i do every single day i've kind of touched on it with the exercise piece but i try to get outside every single day having a job where i work from home a lot of the time means that i can just be stuck in the house all day long and not even bother getting dressed maybe if i've got a skype call or a phone call with someone i'll just maybe put on a little bit of makeup do my hair a little bit and put on a nice top but down below I'm wearing tracksuit bottoms on my slippers that's just real life I'm gonna keep it real with you guys but having your own business can sometimes be isolating and you can kind of get cooped up in this bubble not leave the house you only really speak to the mail delivery guy so it's important that you make a conscious effort to leave the house get some fresh air walk around the block and just try to clear your head so the best way that I do this is going for a walk I live nearby to kind of a nature reserve, so I'll pop on my trainers, I'll shut down my laptop and I'll head outside maybe for 30 minutes, just walking alongside the water, getting my heart racing a little bit, get a bit of a sweat on and then I'll turn around and come all the way back. So if you're someone who works maybe in an office or you work from home a lot, you don't really get any time in nature, then I think that this could be really helpful in helping you move to a place of hormonal harmony too because we are designed to be in sync with nature as humans. Particularly for women, it's really important to have a healthy circadian rhythm which are your body clock, your light and dark cycles, your exposure to the sun and the moon. This really influences our hormones every single month. Hence why we have a regular 28 day cycles a lot of the time. It determines when we go into puberty, when we go into menopause when our periods come, when our periods stop. So if you feel like you just have no connection to the earth, the sun, nature, then really try to get back into that because it has so many benefits and we're just designed to be outdoors a lot of the time. But sadly in this modern 21st century lifestyle, that's just not the case. And we really try to need to try and make an effort to get back to that. I even try to make a habit of just eating my lunch or having a cup of tea outside if possible. So I'll sit in my garden at the table and just sit in the sunlight. And I've been doing this more often at lunch times as the sun's been coming out a bit more. Just getting that sunlight in my eyes, that can actually help your sleep that evening too because it helps to regulate melatonin production, which is your sleep hormone. So when I see blue light, that stimulates cortisol in the brain, which is that alert hormone. And it helps to train our circadian rhythm a bit better so that we have deeper sleep, better quality sleep, and even better moods. Because sunlight's not just beneficial in terms of vitamin D levels, but it's also important for the production of serotonin in our brain as well. Number five, every single day I eat nourishing foods. Obviously there's going to be some days when I eat a little bit worse, I eat a little bit better, all depending on my menstrual cycle. If I'm not at home, if I'm traveling somewhere, then my diet's going to suffer a little bit. But nutrition for me is everything. Food is medicine in my opinion. Some people really don't like that. They believe that 
that saying that we have caused certain health conditions because of our diet and I don't exactly mean that. And there are definitely other things that play a role in health and disease like your emotions, your environmental toxicity, your lifestyle, relationships, they're all as as important as food but food is something that we have massive control over at every single meal of the day. Every bite that we take is either feeding disease or preventing disease in my opinion. This may seem a little bit extreme but this is just my opinion and something that I've kind of come to the conclusion of over the past couple of years in studying nutrition but that doesn't mean to say if you're eating the best diet in the world that you're actually absorbing it. That could be one problem but you could also be stressed out your mind and living a really toxic lifestyle and that's just going to throw off all of the good things that you're doing in terms of diet so please don't take this that just because you're eating healthy that you're going to be fine because there's many other things that could be throwing this out of whack. For me personally diet is focusing on a lot of organic food, just real whole foods Um, probably on the lines of paleo if you're familiar with that but I don't like to label that because sometimes I do have some lentils or some brown rice but just as a way for you to understand what I'm eating think of like a paleo style diet so a paleo template I'd like to say so lots of plant foods 50% at least of my every single plate that I eat from is filled with vegetables all different kinds and varieties lots of prebiotic fibers from onions, leeks, shallots, asparagus, garlic, those types of things. And then I do consume meat. So the meat that I consume is organic, high quality, pasture-raised if possible. I buy it from a local farm shop that I really trust and respect. They care for the animals so well. And the meat that I consume is a condiment to the vegetables on my plate. So I'm not kind of a carnivore eating slabs of meat at every single meal and not eating any vegetables definitely not it's probably 80-90% vegan actually and just 10-20% animal protein. As an overview of my meals for the day breakfast I kind of have a rotation of either a protein packed smoothie so I have a download for the recipe on my website onto the free download section you can see what I put in my smoothies but Some of my favourite ingredients are hemp seeds, nut butter, coconut milk, cinnamon, green powders and organic berries. I also have eggs in the form of scrambled eggs, omelettes with some vegetables, so spring onions, mushrooms, broccoli. And I sometimes have kind of unconventional breakfast like soup with some frozen prawns cooked in there or some chicken thighs with sweet potato, olives and roasted veggies. I really just go off how I feel and try to rotate my meals as much as possible. So I try to not have the same thing every single day because I'm prone to developing food intolerances. In the past I've had a lot of food intolerances and I really want to prevent that from occurring again as much as possible now that I've healed my gut. So every single meal that I eat I try to switch it up. So instead of having chicken every day or fish or eggs I leave it two or three days between having that same food again. That can help to reduce your exposure and prevent your immune system to developing antigens against those things. Lunch I'll have after I've done my morning workout. So around 11 o'clock I'll come home from the gym. Luckily I live two minutes from the gym that I go to. I'll prep my food for the oven um, while I'm getting ready for the shower. And then once I've got ready, I've had a wash, I've washed my hair. I've put on my human clothes for the day and I head back downstairs and my lunch is nearly ready. So I'll consume that around 12 o'clock on most days, whereas breakfast is around 8am. For lunch, it may be something like wild salmon. You've probably seen this on Instagram. I'll post my pictures of meals quite regularly. Maybe salmon with some sweet potatoes for that post-workout glycogen replenishment so my body is more likely to tolerate the carbohydrates after I've done my workout so I tend to time them around post-workout period. I'm not one of those people who needs to get in a meal within 15-30 minutes of exercising. I don't think it's that important but it will definitely be within the hour just because I don't want to let my cortisol and testosterone levels to stay elevated which it definitely can. So if you're someone who 
exercises quite intensely and then doesn't eat for the next couple of hours this can lead to elevated testosterone levels for the next couple of hours because you're in that kind of male dominant cortisol dominant state and that can lead to people dealing with acne breakouts or irregular cycles maybe worsening pcos symptoms so just keep that in the back of your mind if that may be something that you're dealing with and then my evening meal so my dinners are usually something similar so either some lamb maybe a nice soup maybe a pork chop or some duck breast and again just a small portion of this meat uh, lots of vegetables lots of plant foods some healthy fats every single meal that i have contains fiber protein and healthy fats and i'm not a snacker so please don't ask me for snack ideas because i don't believe that we should be snacking obviously there's some people who need to snack for health reasons maybe they've got adrenal problems or they're underweight or pregnant then in that case maybe boiled eggs guacamole or hummus with some veggie sticks just those types of things nut butter with a piece of fruit i don't personally snack so i eat my evening meal around 5 to 6 30 p.m so i'm done around 7 p.m because that's the time where a lot of our digestive enzymes are shut down our pancreas really can't process a lot of insulin after that time so i'm really mindful to stop eating before then and again i don't snack in the evening so that i've got that really nice healthy fast overnight between 7 p.m and 7 a.m ish the sixth thing that I do every single day is stay hydrated and a lot of people actually struggle with this it's quite surprising because it's such ingrained into my daily routine now that I don't even consider it it's just such a habit and it's so easy for me to achieve so maybe some tips and tricks can help you do the same so as I mentioned on my first point in the morning routine I have a big glass of water by my bedside to chug down every single morning first thing i aim for two to three liters every single day depending on my thirst levels depending on how much exercise i've done where i'm at in my cycle this all changes the exact requirements but i try to stick with two to three liters around that range don't forget that herbal teas can actually contribute to your fluid intake whereas something like coffee and caffeinated beverages actually deplete your hydration levels so I'm not just sipping on plain water all day long. I'm having herbal teas. I have them hot or sometimes I let them cool down and drink them cool throughout the day. I'll be doing that a bit more as it comes to summer. Some of my favourite herbal teas are Tulsi, which is holy basil. That's my absolute favourite. It's a great antihistamine, so great for seasonal allergies, histamine intolerance, eczema, kind of over immune system symptoms like that. I also love matcha green tea like I mentioned but I keep my caffeine intake first thing in the morning I don't drink any caffeine after that else I just don't sleep at all nettle that's another one I love great antihistamine and great blood builder so if you're dealing with chronic anemia just deficiency type symptoms then nettle may be a good inclusion into your hydration routine chamomile's great i usually have that later on in the day to help me sleep or if i'm particularly stressed then chamomile can definitely help me out too plus spearmint i have two cups of spearmint tea every single day that's been shown to reduce testosterone levels symptoms of pcos really beneficial herb and drink that i consume every single day and it definitely helps me keep my skin less oily keep my breakouts at bay if you don't want to do this all month long you can just do it in the first part of your cycle so i like to cycle things a lot as you can tell i'm not very rigid in what i do i kind of go with my menstrual cycle so consuming spearmint tea in your follicular phase so your the week of your period and the week of ovulation this can help to regulate your testosterone because that's the time when it gets the highest so you can actually control it at that time and then maybe for the rest of the month you switch it up and have more of the tulsi tea or chamomile tea nettle tea just play about with different herbs that you like i find that we're drawn to the ones that we need the most of so if you maybe keep hearing the same herb being spoken about or you keep seeing it at the store and it's just reaching out to you maybe you need that herb personally 
The brand that I love is Pucker, Pucker Herbs. They do some nice blends. I believe they are available in America too. So if any of you guys are in America, you can likely get Pucker Herbs teas over there. And I know that you do traditional medicinals brand too. They're really good. Organic herbs, really pure, potent and beneficial. I like to think of drinking herbal tea as just getting some medicinal benefits in throughout the day as well. So you're not just drinking pure water, which is great, obviously great for hydration and brain function, constipation, dry skin. But when we consume herbal teas, that's giving you an extra punch of nutrition at the same time as hydration. And you can find herbs that are more suitable to your health condition, whatever that may be. Number seven of the list of things I do every single day to stay in hormonal harmony, I try my absolute best to avoid environmental toxins. This is so difficult for every single person in this modern world because the air that we breathe, the traffic that's near our homes, the packages that a lot of food comes in, the water that comes from our tap, a lot of it is filled with a lot of these environmental toxins, endocrine disrupting chemicals, that can really throw off our hormones. And as someone with PCOS, I'm kind of at higher risk of having some of these environmental toxins in my bloodstream. Maybe it was an exposure in utero that triggered it or during puberty, or I just can't detoxify some of these things as easily as the average person. So I really have to be conscious in my exposure and I've been doing a lot more research into some of the dangers and negative effects, not just in terms of hormones, but immune system function. There's the scurs of glyphosate, which is Roundup, a pesticide that's used in um, a lot of agriculture, especially in America. It's been linked to cancer, like non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There's so much research coming out with even things like EMF, so the frequencies coming from devices, Wi-Fi, it's a little bit scary, but I think if we can control what we're exposed to in our homes, that's going to be the best way to go about things. So for me personally, I use non-toxic kitchenware, so my pots and pans, I use stainless steel, I use cast iron, ceramic, glass, Tupperware, I threw it all of the cups, spoons, Tupperware tubs that are made of plastic and replace them all with glass stainless steel, all of the other natural materials, skincare. I use only products that I can pronounce, that I understand the ingredients of, that are natural, organic, non-toxic. You can use the app Think Dirty, created by the Environmental Working Group, to actually check the toxicity rating of your products, if you're interested in that. I find that's really helpful. There's a lot of brands on there, but sadly it's more American based, but I'm sure you could find some of the UK products on there too. What we put on our skin is absorbed into our bloodstream within minutes. And this is how certain medications like HRT, birth control patches and nicotine patches actually work. They're delivered transdermally through the skin. And this just shows that what we put on our skin isn't just sat there and doing nothing it enters our bloodstream and this is different from the food that we consume at least in that way we eat the food it goes through our gut first then it goes through our liver to be checked for toxicity but when it goes through our skin it bypasses those defense mechanisms so it's actually more harmful the first places that i would switch things out are going to be your deodorant because there's a massive correlation between aluminium containing deodorants with breast cancer for two reasons so the aluminium is a heavy metal and we obviously don't want high levels of heavy metals in our body because they trigger our immune system and can cause a lot of inflammation plus they are antiperspirants a lot of them and that stops us from sweating which is a natural body process And when our body can't sweat, it can't release some of these toxins that can lead to breast cancers and other health conditions. So we're stopping our natural detoxification process. And that obviously is not a great thing. So deodorant would be the first thing to swap out if you haven't already. My personal favourite brand of non-toxic deodorant is Schmitz. It wasn't available in the UK for a long time, but I believe it now is, so head over to the website, give it a a Google search and see what you find. It's a little bit strange to get used to, I'm not gonna lie. 
You can get a, a paste version or you can get like a roll on stick depending on what works best for you but they're not going to stop you sweating like the antiperspirant so just a heads up with that. You're going to maybe get some sweat patches on your clothes which is completely normal, we all sweat but it just stops the smell from occurring and it just keeps your armpits a little bit fresher from some of the natural ingredients that they use. In terms of food, I really try to prioritise organic food as much as possible. Again, this may not be in everyone's budget, but for me personally, I make it a must because I've just learned so much about the impacts of pesticides. And people say that organic food isn't as nutritious as conventional food, which is true in some ways. It's the same macronutrients, it's the same micronutrients like vitamin C. They're around the same level as conventionally grown products. But where it's different is the levels of antioxidants in there. Antioxidants are plant defense systems, but they actually benefit our health as humans. When we grow conventional crops and they're sprayed with pesticides and they're really kind of wrapped in cotton wool and protected from the elements. They don't have insects on them because they're sprayed with insecticides and herbicides. They're really not being exposed to natural environments. Therefore, they don't actually need to protect themselves because they're being protected by some of these chemicals. Antioxidants are therefore found in a lot higher amounts in organic food because They've not been given the exposure to pesticides and these plants really have to defend for themselves and that benefits our health. Antioxidants are protective against free radical damage, which is a natural daily process and occurrence in our body, just in our metabolism and detoxification. We produce some of these damaged cells and free radicals, but antioxidants kind of go around like Pac-Man and soak up all of these things and repair the damage. Low antioxidant status is linked to all chronic health conditions, especially cancers, hormone imbalances, infertility. Therefore, we really need to pay close attention to the food that we're consuming and try to get organic as much as possible. If you haven't got the budget to eat all organic fruits and vegetables or meats, then I'd stick with the Clean 15. There's a list of Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 fruits and vegetables by the Environmental Working Group. So you can head onto their website. It changes every year depending on the degree at which these these crops are sprayed. But the, there's common offenders that show up every single year. So the Dirty Dozen, the top sprayed crops are usually things like spinach, apples, berries and salad type vegetables. Whereas the cleanest are usually things like avocados, banana, pineapple, things with a more outer shell on them. On to number eight. Every single day I try my best to manage stress in order to keep my hormones balanced. At one point in time I was not focusing on this at all. I was doing all of the other things right. I was eating a great diet. I was exercising every day. I was avoiding the environmental toxins. But I really wasn't working on my mindset, my mental health and my stress levels. I'm lucky in the fact that I've never had a stressful relationship or household or career. But just certain things really used to make me quite anxious and stressed out internally. Maybe it may seem like small things to you. But for me, my body was just in this state of chronic stress and adrenal overdrive. Due to food sensitivities, like I've mentioned, nutrient deficiencies and having hormone imbalances makes you more likely to experience some of these mental health issues too. But it wasn't until I really prioritised this and paid as much attention to my mental health as I did to my diet and my supplements that I started to really see a massive shift. I started looking more into energy healing, mindset, emotions and also into things like Reiki and acupuncture. My morning routine is a great way for me to start my day on a relaxed, calm foot compared to someone who is stressed out their mind, running out the door, breakfast in the car or on the the tube in London. That's just a nightmare for me, but obviously some people can't control that and that's totally fine, but there are ways to manage your stress particularly with the mindset that you have and the way that you perceive your stress, that can be a really powerful way to start to regulate your stress response a little bit more. 
our nervous system can only be in one state at a time. So it can either be in the parasympathetic state, which is the rest, digest and heal state, or it's in the sympathetic nervous system, the fight, flight or free system. And one of the ways that we have massive control over this and can switch it in an instant is our breath rate. Therefore, if we find ourselves getting a little bit anxious, worked up, stressed, we find that not in our stomach or our palms start to sweat a little bit, then one simple thing that you can do is really work on your breath. Really slow it down, take deep belly breaths. This stimulates the diaphragm and the vagus nerve, which is the nerve that connects your gut to your brain and vice versa. Other things that I like to do are Epsom salt baths. So I don't actually have a bath in my house, but my brother and his girlfriend live like two minutes away. So they're really kind and let me actually use their bath maybe once or twice a month. And I use Epsom salts in there. I use some nice lavender essential oil. And that really is a great way for me to relax and provides magnesium through my skin because magnesium's a relaxant mineral. We're going to talk a bit more about supplements on the next point, but I personally feel like I'm just deficient in magnesium all the time, like a lot of the population. We don't get a lot of magnesium through our food because the soil's depleted, plus stress depletes magnesium too. So it's just very common that probably 90% of people on the planet are deficient in magnesium. So Epsom salt baths really help me. If you've got a bath in your home, really take advantage of that and try to have a bath maybe two to three times a week in the evening because that's going to help you unwind from the day, get ready for bed. And a nice visualisation that you can add into that is to, when you release the bath plug, imagine that all of your worries and your stress and the events from the day are kind of washing down the drain. I like that visualisation. You can also do something similar in the shower when you're having a shower at the end of the day. Visualise all of your worries washing away from your head and your body down the drain. I also like to listen to audiobooks. Again, they're more focused on growth, mindset, spirituality rather than fiction. But for me personally, it's a great way to relax, wind down, and just also provide some of that personal growth, which is another way that I stay hormonally healthy. Finally, I do like to have a journal every couple of nights um, by the side of my bed to write down if things are on my mind, any notes for the day, for the the following days I have any to-do list and I'll write everything down, just do like a brain dump before I go to bed. That's a great way to get things off your mind onto paper so that your sleep isn't disturbed as much. I just want to emphasise again just the importance of stress. I know we hear it all the time that stress isn't good for us, we should all be managing stress, but I really want to educate you on really what's going on in your body and why this isn't beneficial if you're dealing with hormone imbalances or if you want to be optimally healthy. In terms of hormones, our brain and our hormone production really depends on our stress levels. If we're really stressed for whatever reason, either mentally, physically, we're just overworking, we're not resting enough or sleeping enough, then our brain's just going to prioritise dealing with the stress, keeping our adrenals healthy, keeping our nervous system functioning optimally and in balance, rather than the health of our period, whether our menstrual cycle is a little bit late, if we've got a little bit more acne, if our hair's coming out, it doesn't really care. It's going to focus on the internal health before it deals with any other luxury processes in the body. Cortisol is our main stress hormone. It's produced by the adrenal glands, which are stress-producing glands. And when levels are high, this can actually downregulate the production of progesterone, which is our pro-pregnancy hormone. If you're not looking to get pregnant anytime soon, or if at all, then that doesn't mean that you don't want progesterone. You absolutely do, because progesterone is an amazing hormone that helps to counteract some of the negative effects of estrogen, which is a building hormone in our body, which is another lovely hormone, but too much can cause symptoms like PMS, heavy bleeding, infertility, endometriosis. So we definitely do want progesterone, but you can imagine cortisol kind of gobbling up all of the progesterone to keep levels high and keep us in that stress state. Number nine on my list is 
taking supplements every single day. And just as a heads up, these supplements are going to be completely different to what you need. And just going to run through what I take, the reasons why, and just keep in the back of your mind that I do not want you to run out and take these supplements. They're designed for my life and my health needs, for my health conditions that I have. Plus they're all high quality practitioner grade supplements. So if you were to jump straight on Amazon or run to your local store and pick up these things, they're likely not going to work or they could actually lead to negative effects because they're not right for your body and they're not actually great quality. So just a disclaimer though. Some people believe that we can get everything that we need from food and I agree to some extent but I definitely believe that a lot of us do need supplements because of the poor quality soil, the modern environment that we're in, just the exposure to toxins, environmental disruptors. We're just challenged a lot more in terms of our environment than we should be Therefore, we do need a little bit of a boost from supplements to kind of support us and keep us healthy. I've already mentioned the inositol that I take first thing in the morning to help my insulin-resistant PCOS, to keep my cycles regular, and to help me ovulate regularly because I'm more prone to ovulating days 20, 25, 27 in some cases when I'm particularly stressed or not taking some of these supplements. So taking inositol helps me to keep all of those things in balance. I also take magnesium every single day for the reasons that I mentioned before, whether it's in a bath form or whether it's in a supplement form. I personally like magnesium glycinate because it gives me that calming feeling without the added side effect or benefit, however you look at it, in terms of creating looser stools with something like magnesium citrate. So if you're really backed up, if you're constipated, maybe give magnesium citrate a go because that could be a little bit more helpful for you. Every day I take a probiotic supplement. A few of them I'm actually sensitive to because certain bacterial strains have histamine producing bacterial strains. So I need to make sure I'm taking a histamine safe one. I personally use Megaspore probiotic, which is a spore forming probiotic that helps to actually implant into the gut. Whereas a lot of the other probiotics are just transient, meaning they flush through and only have beneficial effects for the time that you're taking it. Whereas Megaspore helps you to really repopulate the gut and it creates a lot of changes in terms of addressing dysbiosis. So it helps to reduce levels of certain pathogenic bacteria. It helps to restore the gut lining and just rebalance the whole ecosystem in the gut. So I absolutely love that probiotic. Another benefit is that it's not refrigerated, so you don't need to have it in the fridge all of the time because, in my opinion, that's not really a great sign of a probiotic anyway. If it needs to be in the fridge and kept cool all of the time, what happens when it goes in the stomach and hits the hydrochloric acid? It's just going to die straight away. So if you're constantly looking for a supplement that's refrigerated, then just think... It may not be the best quality and they've actually shown that a lot of them are actually dead bacteria by the time they get inside your body. I also take a multivitamin every single day, a methylated version, not containing folic acid because I have a genetic mutation of MTHFR. Doesn't matter if you don't know what that is, but basically I don't process folic acid well. And I just believe that everyone should be taking a methylated folate just in case they don't deal with folic acid, they have a genetic mutation, it's really common, especially if you're looking to get pregnant, you're trying to conceive, please try and look for a methylated folate or prenatal. This just helps me cover all of the bases and even though I eat a really good nutrient dense diet, I want to make sure that all of my nutrients and minerals are covered for the day and it's kind of that insurance plan, making sure I'm keeping in balance and not missing anything crucial. I also take a zinc supplement every day because I'm just really prone to low zinc levels. I get the white spots on my nails, I get low stomach acid, I get acne when my zinc levels are low. So I make sure I take a zinc supplement every day with food just in case it gives me nausea or stomach aches when I have it on an empty stomach. Plus recently I've been taking a liver support supplement just to help me process histamines a little bit better for my skin health, for my hormones, and just because of the reasons of the environmental toxin exposure and the fact that I can't 
process and detoxify as well as the average person. I just like to give my liver a bit of love every single day in terms of a herbal supplement containing things like milk thistle, dandelion, artichoke, and consuming those things in food form as well. So beetroots, artichokes, dandelion root coffee, those types of things are really helpful to add in as well. Finally, step number 10 that I do every single day to keep my body in hormonal harmony. I get to bed by 10 p.m. at the latest, as frequently as possible. Just as I have a morning routine, I'm gonna finish up with my evening routine. This usually starts around 8 p.m. and I try to shut down my phone, my laptop, emails, everything goes off at that time. I go upstairs, have a wash, put on my pajamas, my dressing gown that I absolutely love, and also my blue light blocking glasses. You may have seen me wearing these in Instagram videos or on Instagram posts. I pop them on around 8pm every single night and just go around doing my evening routine, getting ready for bed. The reason for the blue light blocking glasses, so they're amber coloured, they're orange tinted, and they help to filter out the blue lights from our room lighting, from our TVs, our devices. Blue light triggers the brain to produce cortisol because it thinks that it's still daylight and sunny outside. It mimics natural sunlight. So in the evening, we obviously want to prevent that and instead get this orange coloured light that helps stimulate melatonin, which is the opposite hormone to cortisol. It's our sleep hormone. It's actually one of our master antioxidants as well in the body. Hence why a lot of people who work night shifts, especially women who have been studied, night shift workers, um, nurses, they tend to have higher rates of breast cancer, depression, neurological diseases, because for one, they're not in sync with nature and natural light and dark cycles, and they're not producing healthy amounts of melatonin. In the evenings, I do watch an hour of TV till about nine o'clock, but then I do switch to reading a book or listening to a podcast or audio book for another 30 minutes or so. And then I head upstairs, fill up my glass of water, put it by the bed, maybe do a little bit of journaling, roll on some lavender essential oils on my neck and on my wrists. Lavender is great for relaxation and supporting sleep. I also wear an eye mask when I sleep and have blackout curtains to try and get the room as dark as physically possible. There's actually been studies that, sh- studies that show just a small amount of light under someone's leg in a dark room can actually keep the brain active and not get you in the deep sleep that we should be in. Therefore I like my eyes to be fully blacked out, the room to be fully blacked out. I keep my phone on aeroplane mode on the other side of the room. I don't have any flashing red lights anywhere from any devices. I also wear earplugs. And another thing that I do is tape my mouth shut. And if you haven't already seen my blog post or heard me talk about this, you may be like, what the hell are you on about? But I tape my mouth shut using Somnifix mouth taping strips. I first read about this from a few other health bloggers and a kind of biohacker called Mike Mutzel. He was talking about it on his podcast. And I thought I'd give it a try. I never thought that my sleep was actually bad, but it wasn't until I got my aura ring that I found that I was waking multiple times every single night unknowingly. So like six or seven times, it would show that I would keep waking up. I knew that one one or two of them was to um, use the toilet in the middle of the night. I thought that was normal, but any time that you're awake during the night, it isn't normal. We should be completely in a deep sleep and not need to use the toilet at all. So after finding out that my sleep actually wasn't so great, I did some research, I looked into mouth taping and found that it could be something that helped me. And it absolutely was. It changed my sleep for the better. My deep sleep's increased by probably 30 minutes, which doesn't sound a lot, but it actually is. I'm averaging around two hours every single night of deep sleep, which is really good. I'm now only waking up probably once, maximum twice a night, and that's all due to mouth taping. And I think the reason why it's working for me is because it's putting my body in that relaxed state. When we're mouth breathing, then that can 
signal to the body that you're kind of panting you're in a stress state whereas if you're breathing through your nose that triggers the parasympathetic nervous system and means that you're calm you're relaxed and you're getting deep oxygenation into the body so it's making me physically have to breathe through my nose and that's the optimal state that we should all be in but we get conditioned over the years to not breathe in the correct way and certain health conditions can prevent this too and certain structural problems for me I think my jaw is a little bit too small my teeth are crowded I've actually had teeth removed and they're still a little bit crowded so that's another common reason why people can struggle with um, breathing correctly during the night so I feel like that's another reason why it's helped me so much getting into that deep state and helping me breathe properly but I'm an absolute convert with the mouth taping I'm not going to stop. It's a little bit expensive. I think they're around £10 a box in the UK on Amazon to buy these mouth strips. But they'll last you about two months or so. And yeah, I'm just never going to go back. I feel like I'm a little strange looking in the evening because I have my black eye mask on. I have my earplugs in. I have tape over my mouth. But if it's giving me good sleep, then I actually don't really care. So I'm in bed by around 10pm. I fall asleep within a couple of minutes according to my tracking ring and then I get a nice eight, nine hours of sleep and then I wake up and do it all again the next day. Obviously there's work slotted in, there's podcasts, there's Instagram posts and videos that I have to do but every single day these are my non-negotiable 10 things that I do. It may seem a little bit overwhelming, you definitely don't have to go out and do the exact same things, absolutely not but... I'm just showing you the ways that I stay healthy because I know a few of you are curious. You keep hearing me talking to guests about their lifestyles, their morning routines, but you, you want to know what's going on with me. So I thought I'd put it in a podcast version, let you all know how I get on, what I'm doing. And yeah, if you've got any questions about any of this, I'd love to know. You can head over to my Instagram at Viva Natural Health. Ask me some questions on there. I do, I do weekly Q&As so you can pop your question in the Q&A box and then I can share the answer with everyone. Let me know if you enjoyed this type of solo episode if you want to hear more. I've got a few ideas in store but I'm definitely not forgetting about the Q&A episodes because we've got some really good questions asked and I'll cover them within the next couple of weeks. But next week I'll be back with another guest episode which I feel like you're really going to enjoy that one. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating or review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next step to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.